It was my lifelong dream to play professional soccer. And I was able to play overseas, played in Scotland and Zimbabwe. In Zimbabwe, I was taking a prescribed medication. And after a year, after a season there, it built up toxic levels in my system. And it was one of the most difficult times in my life. I was literally fighting for my life for a year and 10 years to recover. That's what ended my career. Welcome to another episode of the Live Lead Last podcast. We are your hosts, Lisa and James Duvall. Thank you for taking time today to listen. Yeah, we hope you find value in each show, whether it's from the conversations with our guests, or maybe it's some encouragement or nugget that one of us is able to share with you along the way. If you find the content helpful, we would appreciate you sharing it with your friends and family. It is the best way for people to get acquainted with the podcast. James, you have to tell us about the guests this week. Yeah, this week we have Jesse Bradley on the show. Jesse is a former professional soccer player who played the position of goalkeeper. His career was cut short by sickness, and that turning point in his life set him on a new path to full-time vocational ministry, and he now is a senior pastor at Grace Community Church in Seattle, Washington. He and his wife are also adoptive parents and advocates for making a positive impact in the lives of children who have been separated from the biological parents and who do not have parents in their lives. Jesse has also created a free marriage course that we will discuss in this episode. So let's jump into the conversation. Well, Jesse, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you for giving us a gift of your time. And I've been looking forward to this conversation. I've really been intrigued with your story and just everything I've seen about you and just excited about talking to you today. Thank you so much, James. We're in other parts of the country when you think about, you know, Southeast and Northwest. Yeah. But two goalkeepers. That's and, right. you know, soccer goalkeepers, we got to stick together. Yeah. I wish I had the career that you did, but hey, we'll stick with that. Uh, and I'll have- try not to be jealous of the hair I see that you still have. <laughs> you have a pretty incredible story of moving from what you would describe yourself as a self defined atheist to now the opposite extreme of being a pastor in Seattle, Washington. But in the middle of there, there's a whole lot of story. So could you just share? Share a bit of your journey from being a soccer player to a pastor today. Yeah, in terms of soccer, you know, it was a passion in my life. My parents got divorced when I was seven, and sports was one of those pure joys. I worked real hard in school and then also playing sports played soccer at Dartmouth College, and we won the Ivy League a couple of times, wanted to continue to play. It was my lifelong dream to play professional soccer. And I was able to play overseas played in Scotland and Zimbabwe. In Zimbabwe, I was taking a prescribed medication. And after a year, after a season there, it built up toxic levels in my system. And it was one of the most difficult times in my life. I was literally fighting for my life for a year and 10 years to recover. That's what ended my career. So my career didn't end because I wanted it to. And goalkeepers can often play to even 40 years old. But instead, in my 20s, it was gone. And it was sudden. The drug produced many side effects. And There's the emotional side of it, which was crazy dreams I noticed right away, but then also panic attacks and anxiety. There was depression I've never had before. Suicidal thoughts would come into my mind. In addition to that, physically, sweats and chills, migraine headaches, double. The problems included atrial flutter, which is an abnormality, tachycardia, which is a racing heartbeat. The inhibitors in my heart were inhibited by the drug. I'd have 160 beats a minute sitting still. I also had murmur, uh, skip beats and pain in the left side of my chest day and night. And it was brutal. I didn't know if I was going to make it or not. Doctors didn't know. I'm grateful each day. If I'm in my right mind, if I have strength, if I can ever help anyone, if I'd ever have a career, uh, I knew it was a gift from God. It was his grace. I couldn't just 
fix it, make it better. I come from persevere, just get better, do what you can, improve performance-based. And this was a slowing down of my entire life. And out of that, God redirected me into ministry. And I didn't see it coming. And sometimes you have a plan in life. All of a sudden, life was going one way and it's not going that way anymore. I wrestled with my identity. Who am I? With all these things I really attach my identity to, they're gone. Who am I and what's still left? And that's when my identity shifted. And I put it in the Lord and his love. He's the one who's the same yesterday, today, forever. Nothing in this world, not even this drug can separate me from the love of Christ. And so I'm going to put my identity in the Lord and ask him to rebuild my life. And that's what God did. And part of that rebuilding was the identity. Part of it were some habits. I started reading the Bible every day. I started memorizing scripture. And then a part of it was a new direction and leading me into ministry. I started moving towards and taking those first steps towards being a pastor and simply volunteering at the church in the neighborhood with a couple hours and with the strength I had. I was literally charting my strength, like walked 10 minutes a day, you know, a couple months later, walked 20 minutes a day. And so I didn't have a lot when I started working in a church and serving as a volunteer. I didn't have a lot, but I started volunteering and helping with middle school students. And that was the beginning. That's awesome. My background was in student ministries. And if you can work with middle school students, I think yes. you can do about anything in the church. So <laughs> that's pretty awesome. So now you're the lead pastor at Grace Community Church in Seattle, Washington. Tell us about that movement and what it's like to be a pastor in, in what is described as one of the most de-churched places in the United States. Barna said that it's the second most de-churched city in the country, and then also the eighth highest in terms of unreached. There's over 2 million people who don't follow Jesus here. And in a lot of neighborhoods, there might be 3% of the people are going to church on a weekend or connecting with the church. And yet there's a lot of churches. In terms of Seattle, it's one of the highest per capita of the number of churches. And it's been a popular place where many people move here and try to plant churches here. A lot of people have had that just good intentions, but come from the other side of the country, jumped in, and then heading home because it just didn't end up going too well. It's a unique environment. We're doing a search on staff. You know, not everyone wants to come here. And then there's some questions about who would fit in here as well. But I love it. I love being here. I've been here for over five years. I wake up every day excited about what I'm doing. And I'm grateful for our church. Billy Graham came to Seattle in the 1950s. Out of that visit, there were some people who started a Bible study, and that's the history of our church. Actually, one of his sons was on staff here at one point, and he baptized his son here at the church. But it's really with that spirit of let's be solid in the word, let's major on the majors, and let's come together, and let's reach people and spread the gospel in a humble, clear, loving way. When I came into the church, the church had been in decline for about seven years or so. It was going to be a new season. There was going to be a lot of change. And change isn't always easy. It's been a lot of transitional leadership. But we've seen, by God's grace, many changed lives. And God is doing some incredible things. We had a $2.3 million debt that is now gone. But we were pretty much all white when I first arrived. Now we're much more multicultural, looking like our neighborhood, looking like heaven, more outreach happening. And we've now got most of the churches in life groups. So there's a lot of changes that have happened. And there's other exciting stuff around the city where there's really a movement. Churches coming together in a really healthy way. That's something called Saturate the Sound. About 100 churches love what God's doing across Seattle. 
Yeah. That, can you tell a little bit about the work you guys are doing together out there? What if instead of maybe one church with all these different sites or all the different focus, what if we all came together and dropped our logos and egos and came together in different locations? And we've seen about a hundred churches where there's 10 different cohorts and the senior pastors regionally are called together, serving together. And it's not just building trust or having a lunch or praying as important as those are. I mean, the relationships won't go further than the depth of the trust. But then there's also, how can we serve? How can we reach out? How can we bring the gospel to every man, woman, and child? How can we give everyone an opportunity to hear about Jesus? And when I see that kind of unity, for example, in our city, there's someone just planting a church. And instead of competition or weirdness, he's part of the group. And we love that he's planting a church here. And what can we do? We gave him chairs or offer our baptismal if he wants to baptize people. And we're one family. And that's the truth of it. God has one family. And let's act like that. John 17 is the prayer Jesus gave. It's his longest prayer in the Bible. And he prayed for us, future believers. And part of that prayer was that we would be united. And I think sometimes, well, the devil works to break down unity, whether it's at the home or church. But also, I think people who don't follow Jesus kind of wonder, like, why are there so many factions? And why is there so much competition? Sometimes the pastors are the last ones to say, you know, this unity thing's important. Let's do it. Even if it means we make a few sacrifices to our own ministry, if it builds up, if it's for the greater good of the city, and that's the key, what's the greater good of the city where I am, then let's be intentional, intentionally care about, pray for, and build up our city through these relationships. I pray that it becomes the normal that for the next generation of pastors, that when they step into ministry, they would have a team of people in that city that care about them, that are looking to share resources, best practices, talking about discipleship and growing together and just celebrating what God's doing in the different churches and ministries and young life and parachurch. I just want to see that in every city. So I'm very grateful I get a taste of that in Seattle and get to be a part of that. The local church coming together is really powerful. So that's really cool what's, what's taking place there and you're involved in helping lead that. If anyone has any questions, saturatethesound.com. You can check out the website or just reach out to me. I'd love to talk about what God could do in your city as well. That's cool. And I'll put that in the show notes for sure. So soccer has been a huge part of your life and you've been able to continue your involvement in that world, working with the MLS team, the Seattle Sounders. Can you share a little bit what you do with the Sounders and how it has allowed you to keep a platform of influence in the soccer world? Yeah, I still play, you know, as a goalkeeper back in the day, now I play the other 10 positions because you get a workout and my, my back would tell me don't, don't play in nets anymore. So it's fun to play with a lot of guys that played in college or professionally and still keep somewhat competitive. We pretend like it means something. So you put on a uniform, but really I'm looking out at an empty stadium. The Memorial stadium's empty. It's not full, but in our minds, it's standing room only. The Seattle Sounders, they've won, you know, the MLS title for a couple of years. And it's been a great partnership where Faith and Family Night all share, let's say a sounder will also share, and then just invite people to join in. And I love it when faith and also uh, sports come together. That I feel like is possible on so many levels. When I was a college pastor at University of Iowa, there was an Athletes in Action and just sharing in those pregame chapels. When I played, it was always gathering teammates and let's pray before who wants to join in. Uh, or going to other teams and, and sharing the gospel. I love to stay connected with soccer, with teammates. And there's so many opportunities, whether it's the habits that are transformative and life-giving, or also talking to athletes that are just 
in an empty place because so many of their life is based and their value and worth is based on performance. You know, for me, there's a lot of pressure as a soccer goalkeeper because if one goal comes in, you know, we lose. It's up there on the scoreboard, 1-0. And, and that, that was crushing. And so to be able to talk about how your value and worth are not based on performance and then the freedom that comes from that. And then for me, I mean, soccer at points, it was idolatrous because that was my number one. And that wasn't good for me either. That that puts more pressure and stress on a goalkeeper. So to be able to put soccer in its place and enjoy it, be grateful for health, and then realize that the game, it should be something just like from the time you're a kid, like you're doing it for the joy of it. And then freedom from all those trappings that tie into performance, which our culture in any field, it, it can be that way. Well, how big was this? How much did you do? Yeah. How quickly? Okay. Well, if it, you got big numbers, you feel good about yourself. Oh, if the numbers go down, now you're just wondering if you're a failure. And it, there's just so much of that in sport that carries over into other realms. And I love it when athletes just get a healthy foundation. So love to come alongside of athletes. That's awesome. I can imagine that the energy you bring to the team is infectious as well. <laughs> so, cause you have a lot of energy, don't you? This is true. You know, <laughs> my, my staff, they don't want me even drinking coffee. Seattle's a full of all kinds of great coffee shops. They don't need me to have more energy or more vision. And we, we got enough going on. That's right. You're a husband, a, a father. You're also an adoptive parent and adoption advocate. Can you share a bit about your experience with adoption and what's driven you in the passion to adoption and foster care? We adopted, and that was something, it's not for everybody, but I think we can all give the Holy Spirit access to that part of our lives, and some will adopt, some might mentor, some might just care for different families or kids, but there's a lot of kids that need a home, and in our church, we've seen many adopt, and then there's been many who haven't adopted, but through foster care, bring kids into their home. There's one family at our church that has literally had over a thousand kids come in their home. And you think about that influence yeah. over the years and it moves me. It's, it's inspiring. So we have four children, three biological, one adopted. And we live in a time where, you know, many kids don't make it out of the womb. You know, we know how many millions don't. And then many they're here, but there's no parents around. Yeah. That's pure faith, the Bible says. Let's take care of them. Let's let's sacrifice. It is a sacrifice. Every adoption story is a healing story. And there's a lot of trauma, especially coming out of foster care. Yeah. Boy, I would just look at the stories before we adopted these different kids and what they've gone through by age two, by age four. You know, the abuse, the exposure to drugs and alcohol in the womb. Some of the little girls have been raped. And they're not even five, you know, who's going to take care of them and your heart just breaks and you start to have to pray to those decisions. Well, can we handle it? Can we not? What's faith? What's too much for our family? I'm so grateful for my wife too. And it's such a blessing to have our boy in our family. And he's, he's a young black boy and just love our son so much. So I encourage, you know, if there's churches that haven't connected at all with kids, whether it's orphans overseas, whether it's in their community, but to start to get involved and serve those kids and care for those kids. And part of it for me too, comes from seeing my parents at age seven, no longer together. And I know the pain of dad leaving and moving out of state and our family's not the same. And it's different, of course, than someone who has no parents around, but that pain, that loss, that trauma as a kid, like I know a little bit about what that tastes like. And for kids that are going through it and don't have much hope, I know the difference that a home can make, parents can make. And if we could bring them in, 
there's there's a great need. There's a great need. And I thank you for the chance to even share that now. And I encourage anybody. There's so many also Christian ministries and agencies that will help you, whether it's foster care, adoption. There's really everything set up. It's just, let's ask God, God, what do you want me to do? And if you want me to do something, I'm in. And, and I've seen older parents do it. You know, parents have thought, oh, we'll never have a kid. And all of a sudden they realize, wait, we could adopt. Even single parents and, and overseas as well. There's yeah. great ministries for adoption. For men and women who maybe aren't at the place where they can adopt or foster, but just to love and mentor and, and speak into kids' lives that maybe don't have parents to speak in their lives is such a powerful tool that the church can actually offer to our world. I, I know that family is a big deal for you, and you have a, a pretty amazing YouTube channel. I know you're constantly putting videos up, but you just recently released a marriage course. Can you tell us a little bit about the 30 days to strengthen your marriage? Yeah, thanks, James. Been watching during COVID and just seeing what's been happening. And a lot of Christian couples been getting divorced, separated, all kinds of tension. And what what are the options, right? What kind of help is there? And I think there's no shame in getting a counselor. There's great Christian counselors. I want to encourage people. There should be nothing weird about that. It's a great resource. You break your arm, you go to a doctor, you know, marriage. If it's falling apart, there's help. And there's also great books. There's podcasts, a lot of different resources that are available. But in addition to that, I wanted to create something. So 30 videos, 30-day challenge. You can watch it alone. You can watch it with your spouse. I know some marriages are in such rough shape that I encourage some people to just watch it alone first and get a picture. There's so many people that didn't grow up with a healthy marriage in their home, and they just don't know. And they haven't been around it, seen it, and they're doing their best. But there's just a lot of areas no one's ever trained or discipled or explained. So the way we have it set up is there's a video that's short, like three, four, five minutes. You watch it on a topic, and then there's discussion questions. And hopefully that leads into some great conversations. And the questions come with it. The videos are short. You can even pick the different videos that you think are going to be most helpful to you. But a wide range of topics. Hopefully that's something that people can do in their own home. Because, you know, sometimes guys don't want to go to a conference. They don't want to necessarily, you know, sign up for something real long. But at their home, they're in. And it doesn't mean that your marriage is in terrible place if you start doing the videos. But what we've seen across the board is people saying, wow, that really strengthened us. Or there was a few videos we really needed. We'd never thought about that. We never talked about that. Or That's always been an elephant in the room. And the video just kind of breaks the ice and leads it in there in a comfortable way. And then now we can talk through it. So that that was the design of it. And any marriage that's helped in any way, I'm thrilled awesome. because we need, I mean, already Christian marriages, about half of them don't make it. And then what you see in the last year, it just felt like this is time. We need to offer something that's really accessible. It'll be beneficial for couples. And I watched several of the videos that are super high quality and the content's really great. So I'm going to put uh, a link to that course in the show notes so listeners can check that out. And I'd really encourage them to do that. Any way that people can strengthen their marriage is always going to be beneficial. This is great content to do that. Jesse, one of the primary goals of this podcast is to introduce our listeners to men and women, people who are leading their lives and leveraging their influence in a way that makes a difference in the world. Obviously, you're doing that. I wondered if you could share a couple of thoughts that you think would help our listeners to be more intentional about growing their influence. What would you say? Great question, James. I believe a couple of things. One is that the greatest things in life are often not planned yeah. and, and you're not going to see them coming, but God's going to surprise you. And when they come, just trust God and walk into those. I also believe that some of the greatest things come out of some of our 
worst experiences and darkest days. And just like I've been sharing this podcast, let's say my parents divorced as a kid or what I went through in terms of illness in Africa, out of your pain, that's where you start to care for people and share your story and can relate to people and people connect with you and you're able to be an instrument of healing. But then also set no limits with God. And, and whether that's in your neighborhood, your family, start blessing people intentionally in person. And then also digitally take some risks. So I didn't have like a canned answer for that, but that's what comes to mind when I think of influence. Awesome. Well, Jesse, this has been really great. If uh, listeners want to learn more about you, where would you send them online? Yeah, our church website, graceandauburn.com. And then personally, we set up jessebradley.org this last year just because it's been a connecting point, especially for a lot of people who maybe aren't comfortable coming to a church site, but then we can connect there. And so those two sites, and from there, you can check out social media, and I'm on most platforms that way. Awesome. I'll add all those in the show notes, along with the link to the 30 Days to Strengthen Your Marriage course. Jesse, thanks again for your time, and I hope to hang out with you again sometime. And I've only been out to Seattle one time, but next time I'm out there, I'm going to look you up. Sounds great, James. I appreciate you. And I love the innovation of your church when you think about reaching Florida and the different ways that you're doing it. So uh, if you haven't, if you're listening, you haven't checked out James Church and what's going on there, what God's doing there, definitely connect there as well. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Thank you, Jesse, for joining us on the podcast. I can see why his staff tries to keep him away from coffee. (laughs) I love his energy and excitement for life and the obvious passion for Jesus and the church. You know, having a healthy marriage just doesn't happen. James, you and I are always working to create strength and health in our own marriage. So to have a free resource like the 30 Days to Strengthen Your Marriage course is a great tool to build into your marriage relationship. Lisa, talking about marriage resources, you and I will actually be hosting a night out for married people through our church. It's called Caliente, and we do it every year, and it will take place on April 17th. It will be online, so if you and your spouse would be interested in joining us for that, you can actually get tickets by going to Christfellowship.com backslash events backslash Caliente, or you can text the word info to 441441. This is such a fun night that you and I enjoy, enjoy each other. I enjoy making fun of you. Yes, you do. And you enjoy laughing about how I make fun of you. (laughs) But the truth is, it is a great time to just have serious fun in your relationship and enjoy each other and have some time to laugh. So maybe you know a friend or family member who could use the encouragement of this episode. If so, why not share it with them? As a reminder, you can find the show notes to this and every show at liveleadlast.com. You can also join the weekly newsletter and receive each episode and show notes delivered directly in your inbox. Just text the word LIVE to the number 22454. So we want to invite you to follow us on Instagram at Lively Last Podcast. And you can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash Lively Last. Thanks again for joining us for this episode. As always, we encourage you to lead your life and leverage your influence today in a way that leaves the legacy you want for tomorrow. Until next week. Bye-bye.